So this is the moment I've been saying since this started, what we need right now is not wise legal answers. What we need now is kindness. The world needs kindness. Welcome to The Property Wolf, a podcast that delivers news, insights, and practical how-to tips for investors in the South African property market. Here is your host, Kat Wolf. As a professional in the property industry, I kind of feel like COVID-19 has barely fluffed me into the Great Lakes. And after a few days of feeling like I'm drowning, I've sort of kind of started to learn how to swim again. I thought I'd bring you Silna Stain, who's the drafting attorney on the TPN Rental Recovery Pack. This is the first in a two-part series where she takes us through what we can do as landlords and tenants in this unique market. So this morning, in amongst all of this chaos, I, uh, I, I bring you back the, the best in the business, Silma Stain, who is the co-founder of SSLR um, Attorneys and the Managing Director. She is also the drafting attorney for the Tenant Profile Network, the TPN, um, which has put out a lot of information with how we're going to deal with the, um, a, a disaster recovery plan for how we're going to deal with COVID-19. Um, so I welcome Silna. It's really great to have you again. Thank you for joining me. I know that you are really hectic right now, so I really appreciate the time that you're making for us. Oh, thank you, Kat. Thanks so much for having me. It's so nice to uh, do a podcast with you again, albeit not in my chill room, but over a Zoom conversation. But it's nice to see you on my phone. <laughs> yes, it is nice to see you, Solna. Thank you. Um, so we, we are certainly living in some interesting times. Um, and I, I think that this is completely unprecedented for absolutely everybody. And we're in uh, very choppy waters. No one really knows where the, um, the, the legal aspect of this is going to take us. I think that, that, that we should probably establish first that, um, we're, we're all in uncharted territory right now. There is a bloodbath out there. I, I'm getting phone calls from tenants, from landlords, um, with all kinds of concerns and, uh, and, I just I thought let's have a chat and see how we can try and navigate this best for everybody. We're all in this thing together. We all appreciate that everybody, landlords and tenants, have got financial um, pressures right now, um, and we need to try and find a, a way forward for everybody. The the first question is, in these extenuating circumstances, is my normal lease agreements completely enforceable? Yes, well, that is a that is a very good question to start off with because there is so much information out there right now, and and people are giving panic advice, which is something I've never seen in my life. Um, I've seen panic buying, and the truth is, we've seen panic buying on a whole new level now. Yeah. But I'm seeing panic advice, which is something interesting. So. Um, as people get more desperate for answers, people are also coming up with random answers that are very often a little unfounded, which is scary and it's causing uncertainty to the market because from one person you hear this is factually the position and from the other, from the next person you hear, no, 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 that is completely contradicting the other, both arguments which makes it a little tricky. So especially on 
will our contracts be enforceable? 100%. Be it residential, commercial, retail, industrial, unless there's a specific regulation around a tenant does not have to pay rent or a landlord may not collect rent or whatever the case might be, until there's an actual regulation, the contract stands the way it is and the way it was all along and all the terms are enforceable. Remember, if we talk about residential property, the situation is everybody is currently in occupation of their residential properties, more so than ever before. I think I'm making up on my bond payments like it's nobody's business because I used to only sleep in my house. Now I'm here pretty much, well, not pretty much, permanently. I am here permanently. Um, so we're finally using that. But what about commercial now? Um, I'm not in occupation of my uh, office, but I am. My staff is there. The fact that I am not there and my staff's not there doesn't mean we're not in occupation. We're in occupation. You're allowed to be because the terms of the agreement is 100% there and enforceable. The only way that it will change is when the parties agree to change it. The agreement to change it is reduced to writing and the parties sign that in the most practical way we can sign currently. Okay. All right, that's good to know. From a from a landlord's perspective, that's good to know. From a tenant's perspective, it might be a little scary because now I may well have lost my income, my salary, and uh, and I've got no more means in which to pay my rental. And I, I think that that's the basis on which we need to um, to to move forward because that's the case for a, a large majority of people, if not now, in the near future, that may well come to fruition. So how do we deal with that? So I'm so happy that this this is the question. Okay, so the moment the national state of disaster was announced, that was the 15th of March, uh, Michelle Dickens and I from TPN had a discussion, how do we solve this problem? Because there will be tenants that cannot pay their rent, be it commercial or residential. But I'm going to focus this conversation on residential simply because I personally drafted the rent deferment agreement for residential property, as well as the deposit utilization agreement, um, which is uh, only uh, for residential properties. All right. So what we have done is, as we realize there's going to be a bunch of tenants that's going to have reduced income or no income at all, we had to bring a solution to the industry. So what this solution looks like is we started by drafting a tenant rental income declaration because not all tenants are losing money. They still, the majority of the people still receive their full salaries in March. So there's no reason for reduced rental in April for the majority of tenants. So this form, the tenant will complete, give it to the landlord to explain why am I losing income? What is the reason that I can't pay my rent in full? That gives the landlord the opportunity to assess the position and for the parties to come to an agreement. I want to stress this even more to just say, remember, this is not a legislative or by regulation or something requirement. This is an agreement between the landlord and the tenant. There's no obligation on a landlord. 
to allow a tenant to pay less rent. The reason why we're doing this is when a tenant cannot pay his rent and when a landlord is in a financial position to accept a reduced rental uh, to be repaid at a later stage, that's fantastic and we're very happy that people can do this. But if they do it, we need to see those agreements in writing. So the rent deferment agreement, what we're doing with that is we are saying the landlord and the tenant agrees that the tenant will pay a reduced rental. So whatever the amount is or the percentage that the parties choose to pay less. And the tenant will then repay that money from the first day of the third month following the recovery date. So the recovery date is the definition that I decided on. Um, and the definition of the recovery date is either three months after the national state of the disaster was declared or any date sooner or later than that as the minister directs us on that. So why I did that is I don't want to put a landlord and a tenant in a position to renegotiate and sign new contracts every month. Because this, guys, I'm so sorry to be the bearer of bad news, but might very well carry on longer than we're expecting. I can say that because I think we all know that. We can all, I mean, doesn't really take a rocket scientist to see what the world's numbers are looking like. And if it extends, the contracts will provide for that. So you sign it once. However, in the rent deferment agreement, we do allow the landlord to cancel that agreement, not the lease agreement, the rent deferment agreement. So say, for instance, the rental was 10,000 rand a month. The landlord says, you know what, it's fine if you pay only seven and it's going to carry on for three months. So you will then owe me 9,000 rand, which you're going to repay in terms of a payment schedule that the parties agree to. Say the national state of disaster is extended and the tenant says, listen, I would have been able to carry you for three months, but I can't do it for six. The tenant and the landlord will then be allowed to cancel the agreement on one month's notice. <gasps> but isn't that against the provisions of the CPA or whatever? No, because this is not a consumer agreement that falls within the definition of consumer agreement of the CPA. So there's, it's also not a loan agreement in terms of the National Credit Act. It's simply a rent deferment agreement. It's an extraordinary agreement designed for extraordinary times, if that makes sense at all. Yes. So the landlord can cancel that agreement. The lease agreement will then still be in place. The tenant will still have to repay the money that he short paid for a certain period. But the landlord can cancel that and say, listen, I'm sorry, you're going to have to pay the full rent. Unfortunately, if the tenant can't do that thing, the landlord is back to his original position where he will have to place the tenant on terms if he didn't pay his rent in full and cancel the agreement. We can't effect evictions at this stage and the tenant can't move while we're in lockdown. But these are the, uh, the things that's available to a landlord at this stage. But it's not really available to a landlord, sorry, Silna, if, um, if you can't evict a tenant or, or tenant can't move. So what happens in that case? That's such a brilliant question. And the scary answer is nothing. So 
at this stage, what we can do is I'm still encouraging our clients to give us the instructions as it occurs. We are doing all our evictions at a 20% discounted rate at this stage because I know everybody is cash-strapped. So I'm obviously willing to cut pretty much a very big chunk on our fees. We are probably running our evictions at this stage at a bit of a loss, but I'm cool with a bit of a loss at this stage because everybody is running everything at a bit of a loss. So the reason why I've reduced our prices is I want to keep on encouraging our clients to instruct us now. The fact that we can't issue our proceedings yet doesn't mean we can't draft, doesn't mean we can't do the letters. Because remember, at this stage, the Consumer Protection Act 20 business days. There's no directive that says the business days aren't running. So they are running. So can I just put, put push, pause on you for one second? So anyone who hasn't listened to our, our podcast on evicting tenants, can we just just give a quick summary on, on that 20-day process and, and what the process is normally? Yes, 100%. And luckily, normally is still the case right now. So when a tenant doesn't pay his rent, by the second of the month, you need to get a letter of demand out. I personally draft the letter of demand on the TPN system. So I obviously recommend that letter. At this stage, TPN is running their letters at the, of demand also at a 50% discounted rate. So the reason why I like sending it through the TPN system is I will never do a letter, a standard letter that I haven't seen every time on my letterhead. So the letter is on a credit bureau's letterhead, which already gives a bit of an extra punch. It allows the landlord to collect the arrear rental, but also cancel the lease agreement if the landlord's not comply, if the tenant's not complying with the terms of the agreement. So these are very, very important things. Once you've sent that letter from the day it was sent, you start counting the next day, 20 business days. At this stage, guys, business days are still Every day that's not a Saturday, a Sunday, or a public holiday. I know at this stage it's a little tricky to guess which day it is, but you know, check your calendar. Yeah, it's day eight, guys. It's not Friday. We don't, we're not counting in day names anymore. We're counting in numbers. Day eight is a Friday. <laughs> okay. So if you send your letter of demand today, you will only start counting day one on Monday. And you will count, remember to exclude public holidays. You might struggle a little with them because we're at home anyway. But so just check your calendar. 20 business days later, you can cancel the agreement. Now the question is, but they can't move. What so, does so, sorry, can, can, uh, I can't cancel the agreement without going to court, can I? You can. You can. Okay. Placing a tenant on terms by sending the letter of demand and cancellation all done by letters, and this okay. can still be done. Okay, all right. It's actually evicting, it's physically getting the tenant out of the property that we can't do without a court. That's exactly it. Or in lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it. And the thing is, what we can do is because we can cancel, we can negotiate. So we can cancel and say, listen, buddy, as long as you are still in occupation, I'm still going to charge you holding over damages. So I suggest while you're in lockdown, you start packing because the moment lockdown is over, you need to go. Now is a perfect time, guys, to sign settlement agreements in this regard. Okay. And talk to us. 
I have made all my attorneys available, all SSLR attorneys are available to the entire industry for free until the 7th of April to deal with these type of questions and issues. So to negotiate and reduce that to writing at this stage, to attend and to say, listen, dude, I've cancelled the agreement, but you can't move. I will charge you a reduced holding over damage amount, but then you need to promise to the moment lockdown's over, you need to move. If you don't, I'm going to charge you the full rental. So now we need to start getting creative. Life isn't as it used to be. Um, mm. So we need to find creative solutions, even without calls. Mm. Okay. All right. Cool. So th- th- that's if we want to evict a tenant. Now, if we let, let's get back to not wanting to evict a tenant. Um, all right. So we've now signed a, um, a, a, a an agreement um, with my tenants that I can either accept a slightly lower rental or no rental and defer the payment onwards. Um, so let's let's handle how we handle that. Um, so I've agreed with my tenants that he's going to pay me 50 percent rental. Um and I've, um, I, I've, I've drafted everything from there. Uh, what happens now, let's, let's assume, so we come out of lockdown in two months. And according to the agreement that you have drafted, um, after lockdown, my rental goes back to normal. But I think in, in reality, the economy is not going to immediately go back to normal. And if companies are not able to pay their staff now, it's not likely that they're going to immediately be able to pay their staff again as soon as we come out of lockdown. So how do we handle that? That's a very good question. Uh, Kat, so what I've done is uh, something that's very important is there's a very big difference between lockdown and national state of disaster. So both the rental deferment agreement and the deposit agreement, I've tied into the national state of disaster, not lockdown. Okay. Because the national state of disaster will last much longer than okay. lockdown. All right. So what I've done is the definition of recovery date relates to national state of disaster's upliftment, not okay. the end of lockdown. So okay. what I envision is that the country will probably maintain our national state of disaster much longer than we initially anticipated, uh, uh, initially anticipated especially with lockdown in, in consideration because national state of disaster relates a bit more to the economy than just lockdown. So the yeah. state might keep that up longer. See already where we stand right now probably at the very soonest, we will see the end of the natural, national state of disaster only by the 15th of June. Then I've drafted that repayment will only occur from the first day of the third month following upliftment of lockdown. Okay. So now we're only talking about, with the current facts that we have, only start talking about the 1st of September. So theoretically, it will give everybody enough time to recover again. Then again, um, we don't have crystal ball. So what the economy is going to do and how businesses will look like after this, we can't really say. As a business owner myself, obviously, I'm just sitting from the side with my eyes pretty big, um, trying my very best to keep 
<laughs> to keep my, my team happy and safe and motivated. Um, but uh, at, at this stage, everything's still going well, but we don't know what things will look like. Um, should this continue much longer? So I suspect we will see situations where tenants can't repay this money and we're going to have to deal with it then. And the contracts allow for dealing with it then. Um, so as much as I don't have a crystal ball, luckily I have a bit of, bit, bit of an idea of how the, the universe works and how people react okay. in situations like this. Okay. All right. Okay, that's great. So we've got a, a bit of a buffer built in for everybody. Let's talk about the utilization of a deposit. Um, in, in, in terms of the agreements, you have stated that the uh, landlord may utilize the deposit for, in lieu of rental. Um, I know that there's a lot of speculation going around about um, the Consumer Protection Act not actually allowing a landlord to utilize that deposit for the payment of rental, which, you know, as a property professional, I, 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 it doesn't make sense to me because that's what a deposit is there for. So from a, from a lawyer's perspective, please, can you shed some light on, on utilizing this deposit? Yes, I'm so happy that you opened the door on this conversation because this is one, this is the contract and the drafting I've done where I've received um, a lot, of, uh, well, the most commentary on than I've ever had um, in my career. So I must say it's, it's I find it quite um, exciting. I like it to be, to be, um, to receive even unsolicited commentary on my <laughs> drafting uh, because it forces me to be, um, uh, obviously I'm sure of my drafting before I put it out, but even more so um, when I get challenged specifically, it, it forces me to go back to everything in legislation to check my position. So where the, the main issue with this comes in, so now we're only talking residential property, and we're talking about the Rental Housing Act. So the Rental Housing Act, Section 5.3, deals with pretty much non-negotiables, as legislation is, when it comes to certain matters relating to the relationship between the landlord and the tenant. So Section 5.3D, I'm skipping the most important one, but bear with me. Section 5.3D, says that the deposit must be invested in an interest-bearing account and it says um, that it allows the, the landlord to utilize this deposit um, once the lease has ended. So I'm going to read the actual uh, section to you. It's a long section. It starts with the deposit contemplated in paragraph C. See how this is relevant. C is important. Yeah. And I'll go back to him because this is the most important one. Uh, the deposit contemplated in paragraph C must be invested by the landlord in an interest-bearing account with a financial institution. And the landlord must, subject to paragraph G, pay the tenant interest at a rate applicable to such account, which may not be less than the rate applicable to a savings account with a financial institution. And the tenant may, during the period of the lease, Request the landlord to provide him or her with a written proof in respect of interest accrued on the deposit, on such deposit, and the landlord must provide such proof on request. Provided that, okay, now we're just dealing with 
um, the estate agents provided that where a landlord is a registered estate agent, as provided in the Estate Agency Affairs Act, the deposit and any interest thereon shall be dealt with in accordance with the provisions of the Act. Okay, so we say if there's a deposit, it must be in an interest-bearing account. Happy with that. Yeah. He says, yep. deals with inspections. Then if at the expiration of the lease, the landlord and the tenant must agree to a joint inspection, which will take place within a period of three days prior to the expiration um, to ascertain the damage that was caused. Then G says, on the expiration of the lease, the landlord may apply such deposit and interest towards payments um, that uh, damages that he suffered under the lease. Okay. So the damages portion may only be used on expiration of the lease because the inspection can only be done on expiration. Can you see that? So yeah. this is the argument <clears throat> from a lot of people that says the act says the deposit must sit in an interest-bearing account. You can't touch it until expiration. So I see the argument. Only problem is my argument starts one subsection before these arguments. My argument starts on section 53C, which says the landlord may require a tenant before moving into a dwelling to pay a deposit, which at the time may not exceed an amount equivalent to an amount specified in the lease agreement or otherwise agreed to between the parties. So the reason why I'm saying this is the Act says a landlord may request a deposit. It means <clears throat> a landlord does not have to request a deposit. When a lease agreement is in writing, it means it will always have a non-variation clause. Even if it doesn't, to amend a written agreement, you need to have that reduced to writing and signed by both parties. Even more so when the agreement specifically says that there's a non-variation clause and any amendment to the contract must be done in writing and signed by both parties. So what we are doing with the rent deferment agreement, it is an agreement between the parties that varies the terms of the original agreement. The original agreement said, I am the landlord, I would like a deposit. What we are doing with the rent deferment, uh, with the deposit utilization agreement is we are saying, I'm the landlord, I can see my tenant can't pay rent. I know as the landlord, I am exposing myself to risk by not having a deposit. So if there's any damage to the property and my tenant can't pay me for that, I have no money that will pay for that because I don't have the tenant's deposit. So when a landlord understands that this is the risk he's exposing himself to, but he's okay with that risk because that's sort of one of his only options at this stage. Either he's going to use that or he's not getting a cent. So he will accept the risk of not having a deposit. So we're changing the terms of the agreement by saying, as the landlord, I no longer want a deposit, which is allowed because the Act doesn't require you to have a deposit. It okay. gives the right to the landlord to choose whether he wants one or not. But now it would be nonsensical to pay the deposit back to the tenant. Let's quickly take for argument's sake and bear with my example here. Okay. Say, for instance, you're a landlord. Your tenant paid his rent. You hold a deposit. 
tenant calls you as the landlord and says, listen, Mr. Landlord, COVID-19, I'm not getting an income. My wife's not getting an income. My grandmother was diagnosed with COVID-19. She is sick and she needs my medical assistance. I have nowhere else to turn to. Can you please pay my deposit? Are you willing to accept the risk of not having a deposit? Repay my deposit so I have money to look after my grandmother. Okay? This is an extreme example, but bear with me. A landlord is 100% within his rights to release the deposit to the tenant on agreement between the parties where the landlord says, you know what? You paid me this money. You need money. I am willing to give it to you. So if that scenario is turned back to rental, this is basically what we are doing. My example was a little extreme, but I had to get the point across. But if the landlord then says, it's cool, you don't have money. Nobody has money. Yeah, I am happy to pay the deposit back to you to pay your rent, buy groceries, buy medical supplies, whatever the situation is. But what we are saying is the landlord will accept that money then for payment of rent. To do the transaction, to pay the money to the tenant just to receive the money back, that's nonsensical and unnecessary waste of you know, time and energy. Mm. So the landlord just keeps it. So what we are doing with the deposit utilization agreement is we're not releasing the deposit because we're allowed to do that in law. We are allowed to amend the terms of the agreement in law. And that has to be done in writing because you can't vary a written agreement with a non-variation clause unless it's reduced to writing and signed by both parties. But what we are doing then is we say, okay, but the landlord says it's cool for you to take the deposit money now, so he's not holding a deposit. But after all this drama is over with, he would actually like to have a deposit again. So the tenant will pay money towards a deposit again once the national state of disaster is uplifted. You are allowed to receive a deposit over a period that the parties agree to. There has never been legislation that says a deposit must be paid prior to occupation or on signature. Those things are done by agreement. So there's no reason why a landlord can't ask for a deposit again at a later stage once the national state of disaster is uplifted. Okay. That's good to know. Look, and... Uh, you know, as much as a deposit does give the landlord a little bit of security in this time, it, it, and certainly in terms of a residential lease, it's not often that a landlord holds a deposit more than one month. And we know that we're in this for longer than one month. So, you know, it, it, it gives us a little bit of comfort, but uh, certainly not going to cover us for, for the full term. That's exactly. I will tell you a fun little story about the deposit utilization agreement, which yeah. Uh, which we are, which I'm so excited about, just because my um, main thing in life has always been um, I want to know that I'm 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 being of service to people, um, and <laughs> I've heard um, a beautiful story, and it, the sources checked checked out hundred percent. Mm-hmm. But the New York City is obviously struggling, uh, epicenter of mm-hmm. of America with the virus, mm-hmm. really struggling. And um, New York City, uh, their biggest landlord got wind of the TPN rent deferment agreement and the deposit utilization agreement. They looked into it and they've actually applied it uh, to New York City. So 
um, wow. the, the mayor of New York City, which is now more convenient because they have now law that says it's allowed. On our side, we just sit with this lawyer with the arguments. Um, but New York City actually looked into that. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> New York City actually looked into that and um, used the drafting that we done um, in a way that actually helped a lot of people in New York City. So I'm very happy about that. You see, I told you I brought you the best in the business. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic to know that we are making it a better, that we are impacting people's lives in a positive way. Silna, talk to me about the Credit Protection Act and, uh, sorry, the Consumer Protection Act and how your agreement potentially uh, does or does not contradict this act. Uh, we're, we're in unprecedented times, so I think that nobody really knows that. Um, but the Consumer Protection Act is is really there to protect the consumer, and this agreement is 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 there to protect the landlord. So, uh, is this going to stand in terms of the CPA that you can see? And what potential complications have we got moving forward? Yes, so the Consumer Protection Act definitely does not, uh, the, the way we've drafted the rent deferment agreement, as well as the deposit utilization agreement, definitely does not fall within the, the definition of consumer agreement in terms of the CPA. So the, the way it can be interpreted is definitely because the lease agreement might be governed by Section 14 of the CPA, and the fact that these agreements are effectively amendments to your original lease agreement, which is a contract that is governed by Section 14 of the CPA, could very well mean that um, there is a part of this that could be governed by the CPA. However, very important, what we are doing with both the deposit utilization agreement and the rent deferment agreement is it's the supplier that is willing to assist the consumer in a situation where he needs financial assistance. So in our law, we also have the principle of Ubuntu. So as much as, in, in my opinion and from all the research I've done, definitely um, these contracts would not fall under the direct ambit of the CPA, and when it does, it's Section 14, um, which is unlikely to impact the pack them drastically. The only thing that could be relevant is the one month cancellation by the landlord on the rent deferment agreement. However, because it's a temporary amendment of the lease agreement. Just, sorry. sorry, can I just pause you for one second? Just, just go back and explain what you're talking about. Um, it, it, so you've put in the agreement that the landlord can cancel the agreement. Uh, so in the amendment, you put that the landlord can cancel the agreement. Just uh, unpack that a little bit for us. Brilliant. So the agreement specifically says that the landlord will be allowed to cancel the rent deferment agreement by giving the tenant one month's notice. Not the lease agreement. The reason, exactly, not the lease agreement. So if it was one month cancellation on the lease agreement, my goodness, I mean, the, consumer, the CPA will have seven heart attacks. There's no way that yeah. will be allowed. Yeah. But because the rent deferment agreement is not a consumer agreement, um, that will not be a problem because okay. the, ten, the landlord will be in a position 
to cancel the agreement for no reason other than I can financially no longer allow you to pay reduced rent. Um, okay. So that is why that won't be a problem. Okay. okay. All right. Cool. So going back to Ubuntu. Yes. So so the same goes actually for um, the deposit agreement. The, the CPA actually can't find application on these agreements because they are not consumer agreements as a lease agreement is. So Ubuntu is a principle in our law, which is fantastic. We're one um, of the only countries that really has this principle woven into our legal system. So I always try to explain the principles of Ubuntu by basically saying this is a rule in our law that you shouldn't be an ass. <laughs> Legal term per se. But that's pretty much what Ubuntu is. Ubuntu yeah. says, guys, we're all in this together. We're all in life together. Don't be a bully. Don't be nasty. Just, you know, chill out and be cool. That's, that's pretty much the principle of Ubuntu. So... I can say it in a much more legal way, but let's not because then you, nobody's going to know what I'm on about. So when we approach the courts with the agreements that we've drafted, rent deferment agreement as well as the deposit agreement, the fact that we don't have courts to go to now to tell us how they feel about these agreements because it's not essential, so it's not part of the matters that may be heard in courts at this stage, it means we're running blind for all practical purposes. We like running blind because, well, I do. This is the moment um, when you're in an unprecedented system and you're one of the only right-brained attorneys in the country. You are <laughs> such a happy little camper. I am in my absolute element because I don't have precedents that tell me how to deal with this. I mean, we do have some case law from 1918 with the Spanish flu um, but the people didn't really approach court then. They were, I mean, a third of the world's population uh, passed away tragic, tragically in, with the Spanish flu. So we do have some cases from those days, but th they didn't fight about rent. I can promise you that. There was no yeah. case law um, coming up from the 1918. Yeah, 100 years, almost 100 years ago can't possibly be relevant now. <laughs> And the CPA wasn't, wasn't promulgated yeah. then yet. <laughs> so neither was the Rental Housing Act. So none of this helps us much. But for us right now, we drafted with legislation, 100% compliant with legislation. But how the courts will interpret the repayment portions, I do believe it will not be seen as a credit agreement because it's a deferment agreement. And it was something that the parties did without guidance from the courts, in a way to help each other. Now, this is 100% in the spirit of Ubuntu. So if the arguments in court later say a tenant doesn't repay, there's no way that, that the court will say, no, but this agreement, guys, this is weird. We've never seen something like this. We can't enforce it. The court's going to say, listen, guys, in the spirit of Ubuntu, the parties did their very best here. The parties tried to help each other. So I'm going to enforce that. Because you, Mr. Tenant, that was helped by the landlord and the landlord now needs their money back and you don't want to pay, you need to repay. Obviously, there's going to be situations where a tenant might leave this lockdown financially ruined and we need mm -hmm. to know that. We need to appreciate that there will be a lot of cases where we might be able to obtain judgment against the tenant 
but the tenant might just not have the money um, to repay. So this is the moment I've been saying since this started, what we need right now is not wise legal answers. What we need mm. now is kindness. The yeah, world need kind, yeah. needs kindness. Yeah. And the agreement's drafted in a way where you will get judgment quickly and easily if it's not in terms of a consent to judgment in terms of Section 45 of the Match Court Act, um, it will be on summary judgment. So you can get quick judgments, even through the tribunal, even through small claims court. But I think every case must be assessed with your human glasses on. I'm not yeah. saying landlords should take the knock uh, for tenants that can pay. Obviously, landlords are in equally um, scary positions. But as a landlord that might be able to assist the tenant uh, where the tenant maybe lost a full income and a, a single um, income household, something like that, now is the time for kindness, not for strict law. Silna, I know that all this, um, these uh, amazing documents that you've drawn up are available for free. Please tell us where we get them. Yes, so I'm so excited that we were able to do this. Um, we've made it available for free to the entire industry. So whether you're a TPN subscriber, user, an SSL art client, Pullard Mayer Morrison client, doesn't matter. It can be anybody. You might not even have a clue which one of the three companies I just mentioned is. But you can go onto TPN's um, website. So it's uh, www.tpn.co.za. Go to the shop and you will see that um, the rent recovery pack as, as well as the school fees recovery packs are available for free to download. We're not even collecting data. So you just click and download. You don't even need to say who you are. Um, you're welcome to share that with friends and families. We have um, made, the, made them available for free for use for absolutely anybody. That's really awesome. Thank you. That's, that's great. Um, what I what I will do as well is I'm I'm going to put a link to um to those documents in the notes for this podcast so you can easily get it from there too. Brilliant. Thank you, Solna. It's always a pleasure to have you. I really appreciate it, and um, I, I'm sure as this developing story unfolds and is necessary, we will touch base again and uh, provide the public with more information um, where we can. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Property Wolf podcast. We don't bite. Hard. So if you'd like us to cover a specific property-related subject, drop us a line on cat at propertywolf.co.za. That's cat with a K and wolf with two O's.